Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Greetings from the Hill Country of Central Texas. This is Revolution of Military Affairs, and I'm your host, Amos Fox. All right. Welcome back to the Revolution of Military Affairs podcast. Uh, today we have Jeff Miser. He's the Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Portland, and uh, he's a, a rock star because he got up super early this morning. Uh, to meet with me because uh, he's out on the west coast. I'm in the central time zone, and it's early. It's early where I'm at, so it's extremely early there. So, Jeff, thank you very much for your time this morning, and I I appreciate you talking with me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, I think what we're going to talk about today primarily is uh, strategy. So, we had, we've we've talked a couple times on strategy with a couple different guests, and we've had actually the third rated uh, episode on this. This podcast series is uh, one of the episodes on strategy, and so I thought it'd be a good time to come back and revisit that point, but just uh, re- revisit with someone else. And looking back at your CV and everything, I know you've written a lot about it. And in 2017, you wrote this paper that doesn't seem to die, which is a good thing, <laughs> uh, but it's uh, N plus ways plus means equals bad strategy that was published in Parameters. And so I that was where I first came across your work, and so I always found that it was a a very thoughtful paper. And then I was just reading a Rusi Journal article the other day, and it was on strategy. And sure enough, you were referenced many times in there. And so uh, I think when something keeps coming up like that, it's important to, to go to the source and kind of find out the ideas behind that and what they think about whatever topic it is. So today that's strategy. But before we get going, I was looking at your CV again, and I think it's fascinating. Um, so your <laughs> your Bachelor's and master's degrees are in no way, shape, or form related to your PhD, at least mm-hmm. from somebody looking at it from the outside in. So how did yeah. you go from uh, ecological studies and environmental mm-hmm. science to political science? Because that, that, that really intrigues me. Yeah. Well, you know, I – to even add another layer, I started off as a physics major in undergrad mm. – so I went to physics to ecological studies to environmental science and management to then political science. So, you know, I think that, you know, I guess it's when you're when you're 18 or whatever, you don't really know what oh, you yeah. want to do or anything, right? So then I thought, I thought physics would be like, oh, we'll go in there and I'll talk about we'll talk about like the origins of the universe and the Big Bang and stuff like that. And no, it was like a cannonball is shot with an initial velocity, <laughs> blah blah blah. And then what's the acceleration? I was like, okay, well that. I didn't, I didn't stick with that too long. Um, so then I don't know. It, I thought environmental issues was interesting to me. So I got into that. And then it was like my last semester, I think, or a quarter at, at, uh, undergrad that I took, uh, environmental politics. And that kind of really, that really captured my interest. But at that point it was way too late to be a political science major. Uh, so then as I moved forward, I just sort of 
you know, even in, in my master's degree, it was environmental science and management, but I took policy classes and as many as I could. And then um, that I just, I just realized that's what I wanted to do. And at first I was like, oh, well, I want to do environmental policy and politics. And then, you know, 9-11 happened and that kind of mm. like a lot of people kind of shocked my brain. And then I thought, well, what's what's actually going on in the world more broadly? And so I kind of broadened my perspective and got interested in all sorts of, of, of stuff. And then I did international relations, you know, Johns Hopkins for my PhD. Yeah. And that sort of all came together kind of in that way. I thought that that was just a very fascinating circle because it's one of those things hmm. too. Like I'm my my bet or my bachelor's and master's are in secondary education. I was going to teach high hmm. school before uh, 9/11 happened, and then all that happened, and you know things change. And right. so it's uh, it's one of those things where I always find it like, what's the good story here? And I think that that's <laughs> that's an interesting story. So with that. Um, so again, like I said, you've written a, a, quite a bit about strategy. And so I guess just to kick it off, um, what is strategy and why is strategy important? So, so my definition of strategy is that a strategy is a theory of success. And obviously that's related to the idea of theory of victory or mm -hmm. in, in other realms, I say theory of change. So I think that's, I was kind of inspired by, by that kind of thinking and, you know, actually is. It's kind of suggested by the article title that you mentioned is that when I first approached the, the area of strategy, it was, I was, I was told the definition is, you know, strategy is ends, ways, and means. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I first countered that at, when I was teaching at National Defense University and I kind of was dropped in there without, as, as they call me, a chemically pure civilian. And I didn't really, <laughs> I, I hadn't, sure hadn't that thought was about opening. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I was kind of just like trying to figure out what was going on uh, yeah. for a while. And, and we just said, okay, well, here, you are going to teach the strategies and ways and means. I'm like, okay, that's all just go into that. Right. And then um, pretty quickly, I was, I got uncomfortable with that and I didn't really know, know why. And I sort of like read more and thought about it more. And I, I kind of, using the work of others definitely a lot to kind of get to that point of strategy is a, is a theory of success. And what I was just searching for is a, I watched, you know, hundreds of presentations from military officers from around the world, you know, they're at NDU and they were, they were, you know, having like PowerPoint slides with arrows with, you know, lines of effort and they were aiming at either a goal or at the enemy. And, you know, and I was like, okay, that looks cool. But then at the end I was, I was like, well, what, but what makes them think they're actually going to do anything or going to change anything right. or make anything better or achieve anything? Cause I was never, it was never explained, you know, cause usually it was also like, that's the big arrow. Know. That's what makes you think. That. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's usually doing more of the same is sort of what it ended up being a lot yeah. of. Um, yeah. and I was like, okay, so how was, and I'd, I had great mentors too. And, and I would talk to them about like, Hey, like what's, what's going on? They're like, yeah, how, how are you going to change anything? How are you going to make things better if you're just doing the same stuff and you're not explaining, like, what's the causation here? And so I thought, oh, yeah. when I got, when I was you know, rereading some of Barry Posen's work and stuff, and I was like, oh, you know, he's using the word theory. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense because well, what is strategy? It has to be, uh, has to has to have like a synonym or something that's, that's meaningful you can you can say to describe it, you know? And so theory made sense to me and you're trying to cause something to happen. Um, and then I also, I like um, Stephen Walt's definition of theory is just a causal explanation. Like, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. So yep. um, a theory is a causal explanation. A strategy is, is explaining how you're going to cause success to happen. And so that just really made intuitive sense to me. Like when I, when I got to that point, I was like, yeah, that finally makes sense. Um, you have to explain how you're going to cause success to happen. Um, and then the, the idea of theory of victory has been around for a long time. And then, yeah. but as I was reading like other sets of literature, like, well, is victory really the right, right word? Um, sometimes you're just trying to make things less bad or you have, mm -hmm. there's a variety of objectives you're going for. And so what can you, what can you put in there as a word that makes sense? Success, maybe not ideal, but that to me, that was, that was better than victory. And I also had this idea in my head that, you should have a definition of strategy, like a, a starting point definition of strategy that fits any situation, mm -hmm. like business, nonprofit, politics, military. Like you should have a, uh, you know, strategy is, is relevant to all those fields. So you should have yeah. a definition of strategy that fits everywhere. 
right? Um, and, and so I had, had kind of all those ideas going around in my head and then, okay, well, here, uh, here's, here's a definition that, that makes sense to me and fits all these criteria. And, and so that's, to, to me, it just, it just made sense. And as I've, I've gone forward since then, you know, that's, you know, we're almost 10 years on probably since I really first thought of this, um, it still makes the most sense to me, you know? Yeah. And, and I think the point of like, why is it important? Um, I think that, I think that definition also kind of highlights that point too, is why is it important? And, and a key thing for me is that a definition should be analytically useful. Mm -hmm. right? It should, should help you do the work. Right? Yeah. It should set you up for being able to do the work, whatever that work is, that intellectual work. So um, if you, so first off, I guess the, the claim of strategy is that if you have a good strategy, it, it increases your effectiveness, right? That's a main point. Um, and how you can prove that, I mean, that's kind of a, a different kind of digression maybe to go, but that's the starting point proposition. And so then the question can be like, how do you have a good strategy? How do you know it's good? Mm -hmm. um, well, maybe after the fact, if things are working out, okay, well, maybe that was a good strategy. Yeah. Um, but then again, you can't tie... Um, you can't say just because there's a good outcome is caused by a good strategy. That's right. not how things work. Yeah, there's so, chance and all sorts of other things factor into that. Yeah, tons of things you don't you don't know, right? So, yep. um, so but you can kind of look and you can kind of study from from the retrospective kind of perspective and say, well, was it strategy or did that did it work? Did it cause things we wanted to? But you also want to know ahead of time is the strategy good before you implement it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really difficult to know. It's, it's extremely difficult, but if you're thinking in terms of theories, like there's a whole philosophy of science and social science methods that can help you try and think about whether or not a, a theory is a good theory or not. And so yeah. I thought that would also help in terms of thinking through, um, what is a strategy? Um, how do you know if you have a good strategy before you implement it? And then um, looking backwards, how do you, I would say, what's a useful way for analyzing strategy? If you want to know, hey, was this a good strategy that happened or whatever, five years ago or 10 years ago, or like an ongoing strategy, you can use these, these methods to evaluate, oh, is this, is this strategy good or not? Um, so I think for all those reasons, I think that's the best definition that I know of. And that's, and I think it's, it's useful. Yeah, that's, I certainly agree. I think that one of the things that jumps out at me too, when you talk about strategy, especially in that paper, and I'm not going to focus on the paper entirely, or even like, you know, with a majority of this conversation, but I'm just going to tie it back to that real quick. But it reminded me a lot of um, Everett Dolman's book, Pure Strategy. And I don't know if you've read that or not, but it struck yeah. me. But I find Dolman's almost like, it's too far... Uh, evolved um, from a conceptual standpoint. It's like a rich man's version of strategy. And for those who haven't read Dolman, essentially it's that winning is irrelevant, tactical winning is irrelevant, um, and that the goal of a strategist is to just stay in the game and keep the game continuing to be played. And if the game ever ends, it's actually bad strategy because then they're no longer at the table playing the game. And so you know, like you could take that a million different directions. Um, mm -hmm. Open and open-ended conflicts are beneficial, right? Um, yeah, that that could be one of the arguments there. And so, uh, when I read that paper, when I read your, um, and after having read his book, because we had to read that when I went to, I was when I went to Sam's. That was one of the key texts we read in the 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 portion of the course on strategy, and it blew my mind when I first read it. And then I'd read your paper not long after that, because your paper came out not too long after that. And I felt like there was very, uh, uh, not a ton of overlap, but there was a, some conceptual overlap. So um, mm -hmm. thoughts, thoughts on that? Yeah. No, I mean, I like, I like it up to a point, um, yeah. but his, his um, reluctance or avoidance of thinking through what, what outcomes you're, you're trying to get to is kind of troubling because, um, it's sort of like the same issue I kind of have with emergent strategy. Like that idea mm -hmm. is that, um, if you never, if ahead of time, you don't set up any kind of goals or any vision of success, then how do you know you're ever getting close to it? Yeah. Um, like the assessment evaluation pieces is, is are, are you doing it well or not? Cause you always say like, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm staying in the competition here. You know, I'm staying in the game. So I'm yeah. winning. Right? Like I'm, you know, you're like, well, that's not really satisfying. Cause then you can just use that to, um, uh, kick the can down the road to not yeah. have any accountability. 
Yep. Same with emergent strategy. At least one one vision of it is that well, if it's you know, it's like oh, what's your strategy? Like you can just say, well, hey, it's emergent, man. It's it's yeah, just it's, it's happening. It's happening all around yeah, you. When it, when it comes to me, it comes to me. You know, we're gonna. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's so what I always. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say that it's. That's why I think it's important to say, you know, you know, strategy is a noun. It's a theory. It's a thing you can tell people what it, what it, like someone says. What's your strategy? You can tell them, you know. Yeah. And that's the only way you can have accountability, or know if you're doing well is is you have to be able to articulate it. And you know, it can, yeah, sure, emergent. It can change. It can evolve. But I think you have to be clear about okay, it's it's evolving from this to this, and now it's this thing. And you know, if if next week or next year whatever it has to evolve again, you say what it is again. Um, and you, you make it better, but yeah. Well, that, I think that's like anything, um, you should always be revisiting what it is. You know what I mean? Both what you're right. doing, both the strategy that's guiding what you're doing and updating it as you go. Like to me, strategy is not some locked thing that just never changes. And so that's one of the things too, that I find that, um, like you should always be updating your strategy, but back to Dolman really fast. Yeah. That when I first read that book, it like completely, like, it was like one of those things that turned my mind inside out, you know? And I was like, what is he saying? And, uh, <laughs> I felt like, like early on, it was like, I had this like, um, very negative, uh, reaction to it. I was like, no, oh, no, this mm. doesn't compute. And then later I was like, man, this is terrific. He's totally on it. And then mm-hmm. I was in, uh, I reread it when I was working in Iraq the last time. I worked at Sajay Flick, uh, the land component command during the, the fight against ISIS uh, for the last couple of months of the Battle of Mosul and then afterwards. And I was like, I feel like we're living this, like this Dolman strategy, you know, and I like charted this little thing. But then I was like, is this accidental? You know, are we accidentally stumbling our way through a Dolman, Dolmanian strategy? Mm-hmm. Or is this intentional? Are we, is this thing open-ended because we're just not good at strategy or is it open-ended <laughs> because we're trying, like, this is the strategy, you know? And so, yeah, uh, I bring that up to ask my next question of you and what makes a good strategist? Good strategist. Well, so, I mean, I think that an important part of it is that, you know, you have the right definition to, to start with. And then I think the way of thinking, the appropriate of thinking to me is, is scientific way of thinking and people get all in their feelings about that sometimes and they want to say well strategy is an art and a science or whatever and, and i really yeah. dislike that um <laughs> that's things, good like, because that's uh, that's where i'm going next so this okay. is good because it's like like dude what's what's art can yeah, you define art right. for me yeah. um oh it's a creative endeavor well what's science you know you think yeah. that you think that science is not creative um, yeah, I mean, the scientific, scientific methodology is just like, the thing about the wheel of science is you, you know, you develop a hypothesis, you test it, you revise it, right? That's yep. science, right? You, you have a theory, you have a hypothesis, and you test it according to real world evidence, right? So to me, that's the strategist mindset too. You know, to be a good strategist is to have that mindset. And, you know, it's not like um, you're some kind of robot that develops hypotheses and test. It's like you're, you're a creative individual that's developing theories and hypotheses and finding creative ways to test them and understand if, if they're working or not. So it's extremely creative. So science is definitely a creative process. So you don't have to say, you're trying to, to say, oh, well, strategy is, is creative. You don't have to put art in there to doesn't it? It's, 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 it's a science. Yeah, it's almost implied, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's and then I think people also get worried. Like science means it's just you know quantitative, or it's I don't know that you're just crunching numbers and that's all it is, and that's also not true, you know. So yeah, so I think having having that mindset where um, you're, I mean, to me, to the core of of strategy is is creating causal effects, like the causal effects that you want. Like you're mm-hmm. trying to cause something, right? and that has to be at the heart of it. And so that has to be your way of thinking: is okay, how how am I going to cause the outcomes that I want? It could be, hey, I want to make things slightly better. Um, I want to achieve something big. Whatever it is, like you want to have a causal effect. So how are you going to do that? That's the like the toughest thing in the world to do. Right? Yeah. How are you going to cause something to happen in like this crazy world with all these factors and luck and chance and all this stuff? And, and you're actually going to cause something to happen. That's that's intense, you know. Um, yeah. And, and well, so I think just the important that. thing that too is like you're also like when we think about it in the context of, of war and warfare, you're doing that in a in an adversarial context 
where somebody's applying resources against you mm-hmm. to do the same thing for themselves, you know? And so it's, yeah. uh, uh, that's one of the things when I think about this, I think, you know, we t- going back to your arrows, we draw this nice <laughs> straight line arrow across the board saying, you know, we're starting at our current state. We're going to this, this end state or this desired future state or whatever the phrase is we want to use for mm-hmm. it, you know? And uh, one of the things I've always um, liked to do is, you know, you draw that end state. This is my ideal goal here, but then you need to draw like a sub-optimized goal and mm-hmm. then draw a droopy arrow and say, this is really where we're probably going <laughs> because of that adversarial context, right? Because there's so yeah. many factors actually working against you and not, not, not helping you. Cause the only thing that's really helping you is you and whatever friends you have, but like everything else is working against you. So mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the things that, often gets looked uh, looked over when we're thinking about strategy and good strategists. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely true. And, and then, so then part of that way of thinking and the scientific method is then in response to this is, is revisiting your hypothesis. So you're testing it, you're seeing if it's working, probably it's partially working at any given time. And then, so you're revising it again and you're going through that process. So, to me, that's an important part of, of being a strategist. And it, and it suggests you have to be open to like self-critique, critique from others, mm-hmm. because you're, you're trying to improve your, your strategy as much as you can, your hypothesis, your theory. Yeah. And so you're, you're stress testing it um, and you're, you're part of that debate where others are doing that too, ideally, and so that you're, you're, your goal is to make it better. So you're really putting it through that wheel of science. Okay, is, is this, is this going to work? Or is this working? Okay, it's not working quite good enough. We're going to try again. We're going to keep, you know, going through yeah. that that process. So you have to have that that mindset. I, I'm about to. I get a little twitchy when I hear you talking about this because <laughs> I get going back to when I last worked in Iraq. The strategy was assessed. There was an assessments working group or whatever periodically. And it was done at, I don't know if it went below us or not, but it certainly happened where I was at the land component in Iraq. And then it, it occurred above us too. And, uh, you know, you're measuring, you're measuring success by these quantifiable things, you know, did this happen? Yes or no. And that's fine. Uh, but then like what I noticed was when you started getting the answer that you didn't want to get, um, you just turned off the meeting, right? And then the meeting hmm they would start getting canceled and then they just were completely canceled <laughs> altogether. And so we had these, uh, these orses just sitting there, uh, for the rest of that, uh, that time, not, or I'm sorry, operations, research and systems analysis folks hmm. who are, you know, the people that ran the, uh, ran this assessments working group, um, that just sat there and didn't do anything the rest of the time. And so, your comment about um, being honest with yourself and, you know, assessing yourself and assessing your strategy, that that, that one like really resonates with me because I was, you know, as you watch this happen, you're like, what, what, we're doing what? Oh, we're just, we're not, we don't care anymore. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> and then it goes back to like the, that comment on Do- Dominion strategy. Are we doing that on purpose? Are we stumbling our way through it? Because at that point we were essentially doing a, you know, Dolman approach to strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, so your comments on science uh, are perfect because uh, I wanted to ask you about the future of strategy. All right. And so mm-hmm. I guess I have a bit of a two part question here. So, uh, part one, and then I'll come back and restate part two once we get through part one, but I'll <laughs> say them both up front. Um, so the future strategy. So with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, how do you think that will impact strategy moving forward into the future? Will it become just a, will it, will, will it remove the human element? Will it make it just this binary choice of pick A or B and like the whole strategic mm-hmm. process? is done algorithmically within a computer. And then, you know, the, the idea of the strategist is, is not really a thing. We, we have, uh, instead of, you know, the Mac, Mac two, it's the Clausewitz two, you know, you just change the name of the computer to Clausewitz. Hmm. Uh-huh. So you move from that. Uh, and then part two of this question is, um, so with the pro- proliferation of drones and long range fires, uh, proxies, uh, proxy forces and the unwillingness to put, boots on the ground in so many parts of the world while still being engaged in armed conflict in so many parts of the world. 
How is that reshaping or is it reshaping strategy? And is it turning, this is my favorite question, is it turning strategy into a, a strategy of strike? So mm-hmm. there you go. Bunch of yeah. uh, bunch of questions there. Okay. So on the AI piece um, and strategy, so I mean, my, so my engagement with like, those, those technologies uh, has mm-hmm. been sort of through student papers, like to the extent mm-hmm. that they use that and I, I discover it and so on in papers. And um, so I'd say that I, uh, thus far, I'm not that impressed um, in terms of what, what they produce in terms of like thoughtful analysis. And, and I mean, the, the machines kind of have a reluctance to kind of make choices, it seems like. So like often yeah. ask questions like, oh, here's two theories, which one's better? And the, mm. you know the AI ones because they're like, oh, who can say? <laughs> <I'm> like, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're supposed to say that's the yeah. that's the question. That's the question, but, yeah. But the AI is like, I cannot say, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, I, so right now, there's obviously I think limitations. Although of course, there's higher end and no AI and stuff like yeah. that. So, so I think there's some that, that that's better than others, and I, I can't speak to the what's the, what's the best cutting edge. But I think it does get to the point of I'll just say I was recently reading an article about how AI might replace like middle management of, of corporations mm-hmm. and stuff like that. The white collar jobs might, some of them might go out the window. Yeah. And the claim in the article, like, oh, well, you know, because AI is good at critical thinking. And so you don't need people to do that. <laughs> I just started laughing because that's not been my experience at all. That that's mm-hmm. the thing that AI is worst at is like critical thinking. It, it can compile and synthesize things, but then um, it coming can't up wait, with good make crit- a judgment. Yeah. Yeah, can't can't make a judgment. It can't. I don't, I don't think it can really conceptualize what's actually a good critique versus just like, oh, here are critiques that exist mm. that I can generate. You know. Yeah. Um. So I also ask those kind of questions on for students and be like, hey, well, what's the what's the what's the strongest criticism you have of this argument? And then if it's AI, it's like it'll be some very generic thing. You know, that they yeah. can just find out in Wikipedia or something, whatever land. You know. Hmm. Um. And so I don't know. I I think. I don't know exactly where the trend line is going, but I'm not. I'm not thinking that that's um, gonna gonna re- like the AI is gonna replace strategist or strategic thinking. I think part of what it can do, like so, part of how I um, like understand and, and think about strategy is that you should uh, ahead of time, if you can, test like both the internal validity and external validity of your theory. So, does it make sense internally? Is it logical? That kind of thing, and then also what evidence out there do you have that you can use to test this theory? Like, are there other, other cases that are kind of like this, or is there any kind of quantitative information you can use to test your theory ahead of time to have any sense of like, Oh, would this type of strategy work in this type of situation? So then at that point, AI is probably very useful. Um, You know, computer, tell me all the relevant cases of this in the world or something like that, you know, um, and be able to just like compile stuff. I think that's probably going to be be quite useful. But in terms of like, hey, tell me how I can successfully cause blank to happen. Um, I'm not thinking that's going to be you know a, a easy thing for AI to kind of take over that kind of thinking. But again, yeah, that's, you know, who knows? Yeah, that's one of the 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 trends and a lot of uh, thinking. A lot of uh, military circles is the idea that we're going to use. AI to um, help with automated decision making and automated mm-hmm. like computer aided assistance like CAD for the decision making, <laughs> essentially, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's something that is being pushed really hard right now for for development. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, it's just an interesting thing because I, I think again conceptually. I can understand it, but I don't know that realistically it's got the nuance to understand maybe at least yet uh, the unique situations that may arise and the judgments that have to apply. Um, I just, uh, you know, I'm fearful of the killer robot army and I don't know that it's going to be able to make sound decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I mean, I think that I guess the other side of it, as you're talking, I was just thinking is that, well, um, we're not necessarily doing a great job right now. So maybe, so maybe AI, even though AI yeah. is not going to do great either, it's like, well, we're not awesome at it. So 
That's, for now. That, that'll get to my last question. But my next one is uh, the follow-up. The, dro- the drones, long-range fire proxies. Yeah. What does that say? Where are we at with that in terms of you know strategic thinking? How is that? Is that uh, short circuiting? It's almost an easy button yeah. in many in many right. regards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think um, so. The alternative to to strategy is to, is just to say, hey, we have these tools. Let's just use them. Yeah. Right. And so it's and this is one of uh, I think my my critiques of the U.S. way of strategy is that it's often. Um, means based and that language mm-hmm. of ends waste means of like, Hey, we have a pile of resources. How are we going to direct that? And so yep. the strategy piece is like, oh, okay, I have a, a, this stuff I can use. I'm just going to put it on the problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the debates, if you look back to like <clears throat> um, the Obama surge and stuff like that, the debate is like, well, it's, it's how many troops to send, not it's, it's less about what they're going to do. You know, there was yeah. some of that debate too. Right. It's more, ends up being kind of, that's kind of short-circuited even the discussion of at least the the accounts i've read about that the, the debate was like within like the first hour it's like are we gonna are we gonna stay and, and do something okay we decided that in like five minutes yeah. and then and then it's, it comes really quickly like okay so we're gonna use either put thirty thousand or seventy thousand or whatever on it um and then also the the debates about the, uh, the campaign against isis at least in the in the news reporting stuff, it's all about what what platforms are used, what weapon systems, you know, and it's, oh, it's less about oh, okay, what's really going on there, and they're using the precision dog style. whistle is one of my favorites. <laughs> right, so saying that what what I what I think is that that's it's been a tradition in, in the U.S. like way of strategy for a long time is just to to put put resources on the problem and, and think less about how exactly they're used. So I think this yeah. is precision strike drones that tends to be also just like like you're i think suggesting is kind of a stand-in for strategy yep. in that we just apply tools and we're not really thinking about the strategy piece it's kind of implicit and this is that's, one I, of my, yeah, that's exactly what i was going to say it's like the the strategy and the goodness of it's implicit and you should understand when we say we're using precision strike you should understand that it's better and it's going to do a good job you yeah. know yeah and i think in one of your previous guests i think suggested that you know, precision strike was a strategy. Um, yeah. And then in talking about it, I, I appreciate mean, you calling what, me out for that, by the way. <laughs> what Certain I think people was, I can't push too far, you know? <laughs> and so I think that what was meant by that is, is I think denial was the strategy and then yeah. precision strike was the, was the tool. Yep. But then I think what's important there is like, well, you have to ask, well, why denial? I mean, when, why not something else? And what other what other ways can you cause denial to happen? You know, so if you're if you're kind of locked into, okay, we have these tools that can cause this thing. Well, then I guess that's our strategy. So you, you kind of you walk backwards into it, of yeah, like, hey, we have these tools. The, the goal. Yeah. Yep. So you see, you have the tools first, and you're like, okay, so then what kind of things can we do with this? Okay, then that becomes the strategy. And yeah. instead of thinking through ahead of time, well, what we're actually going to think through is here's the range of strategy options. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to choose one because it's best. And then we're going to align that with the resources we have and whatever kind of process you, you like to have there. Um, and, and then if, if it's just always implicit, then again, it comes back to you can't, you can't test it. You can't think it through effectively if it's just if it's implicit. And that's why another reason I don't like the, the kind of emergent approach would suggest that maybe, you know, the, the, the implicit sort of tacit strategy is okay because you're like learning by doing and so on. But to me, again, it's like, you don't know if you're successful, you don't know, there's no accountability at the end. So, um, and it's the same thing with tools like, oh, hey, we use these tools that maybe that means we're doing it right or that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and so... A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's, it's challenging there and I'm teaching yeah. this class, uh, American Way of War, right now, and, and mm. I was introducing them to the the Hellfire missile that doesn't explode, that with like the sword blades on it. Oh yeah, they were totally I, fascinated by the existence of that. that isn't that what they we took system. out that guy in Iraq with like a two weeks ago or yeah, something exactly. similar so to this? This is why. Yeah, yeah and, the, and the Wall Street Journal had like an exclusive where like, oh, this is how he died, you know. Yeah. And so we're talking about the American Way of War of like, hey. You know, it's casualty sensitivity and humanitarian norms and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah. the U.S. military went to the, well, I don't know who developed it exactly, but they went to the extreme of, we want to be so careful about killing people that we're going to have a sword missile, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, whoa, it kind of blew their minds yeah. that, that somebody somewhere in the room was like, oh, hey, what if we just put sword blades on it, you know? Yeah. It's and, like a little samurai. It's like a yeah, a little samurai sword pops out and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it's you know, we have these weapon systems that then give us capabilities, and so we're just thinking, okay, well, we have this capability. <clears throat> this must be the right way to do it, you know. And, yeah. And it kind of, like I said, you know, the the tail wagging the dog or whatever you want to kind of call it. Yeah, yeah. I think it does have. It gets the the way you do or should think about policy out of whack for sure. And uh, I think there's a lot of this. And I've mentioned this before. And I've actually, I think I put it in a couple things I've written. I got into this conversation one guy uh, one time when I was in in Baghdad. Uh, this is a few months after Mosul, and there was a British uh, army officer working with us in there, and we were chatting one night because I had, this is when I was doing some like analytical, you know, um, assessments of what was going on for my own personal benefit. And we were talking about the battle of Mosul, right? The city was flattened, you know, but, uh, we used um, like not exclusively, but just a, a, a massive amount of precision strike munitions, whether it was MLRS delivered, you know, hellfires from Apaches, whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, so we're having this debate and I'm like, yeah, but like, would it have just been cheaper and perhaps even quicker if we would have just used, you know, ballistic artillery, you know? And then he kept coming back to, no, 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 but we used precision. And I'm like, <laughs> but does it matter? Because the city was flattened either way, you know? And it was like this, this, there, there's this bias to precision munitions, regardless of the outcome, right? Regardless of if it actually does something better or not better than what you would get if you just used a, you know, non-precision munition or non-precision delivery, you know, capability. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just this fascinating thing because you see it, there's, it's, it's got this dog whistle quality to it where it's like, you know, don't, uh, or it's like, uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz, don't look behind the, uh, the curtain, you know, right. like just listen to the fact that we said it's precision strike. Yeah, and uh, I think- yeah, and that's one of the things that I find really interesting about this whole thing when we talk about drones and long-range fires and all that is, is is that one of the other things that I think when you were talking, I kept thinking about we get this whole thing out of whack in many regards. But part of it, too, I think is, you know, if your policy is out of line or exceeds what's actually feasible, actually feasible, sorry, <laughs> then like does it even matter that your poli or your strategy's out of whack because your policy goals which you know you pull that down and those become your strategic goals mm -hmm. like th those actually aren't attainable and so then you just get into the world of well we know we can't actually do this so we're just going to do stuff yeah right yeah that probably explains a lot yeah, I mean, when you look back at like Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, making these beacons of democracy in places where that's not actually probably going to happen, at least not not by our doing, you know, it's uh, one of those things where it's like, well, we're just going to go out and drive around and get blown up for 10 years until, you know, somebody finally sends us home. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no hard feelings on my end. You know, we all, got, <laughs> we all got jobs to do and I made it home okay. 
All right. Yeah. So last thing here, since we're getting short on time, what is the, and we've, we've danced around this and kind of touched on it a little bit, but what is the current state of strategy? Uh, both from like, uh, you know, just from a strategist perspective, do we have any good strategists today? Do we have good strategies today? And just mm-hmm. what is the state of strategic thought in your opinion? And I think to a degree, the question may be a little off kilter based off what you mm-hmm. said at the very beginning about strategy conceptually being applicable across the board to anything. So I'm thinking more in yeah. terms of like, you know, policy, armed conflict, all that. So floor is yeah. yours. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting because people sometimes ask like, well, what's oh, what's a, the best strategy book or what's who's the best person to read? And, and I kind of struggle with that because yeah. it's just it's just challenging. Because and I think it's <clears throat> like I often will will go to like business strategy books because mm-hmm. that's where. I mean, I think it's 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 a more open ended discussion of like what is strategy and what's the in the in the, in the broadest sense. And how are you trying to achieve things? Because like in the corporate world, like there's there's a lot of different tools people use, and it's it's, it's more I think wide open to thinking about different um, approach to strategy and that kind of thing. So I'll I'll kind of go in in that direction. And so yeah. it's uh, I'm not it's there's not a lot of great stuff out there. I don't think, and I think that actually, especially like in the military strategy realm, it's it's extremely underdeveloped to kind of put it in academic phrasing there is that um, like basic concepts, I think are just not uh, put under like the rigor and scrutiny that, that like academic concepts have been. And that, that can go way too far and really just get into um, thinking in, in discussions that are not useful. But I think there's a, a more optimal place where I think thinking on strategy in the national security and military arena just hasn't, hasn't gotten to. Um, and a lot of, I think there's, there's significant problems there. And I was just like, I was reading, uh, or I was like, listening to the audiobook of, of Nolan's, um, uh, the allure of battle. Oh yeah. Terrific. And I was like, wow. Um, how, how do I put this? <laughs> I'm not, the framing of it is very, uh, challenging for me. And, and the argument is, is very challenging in the sense mm. of, um, to me, I feel like the whole setup is just a series of straw men, um, and the the execution and the definition of what of like decisive battle is to kind of hmm. give the background right is that well, decisive battle doesn't really happen, right? It's just it ends up being like whatever side has the most resources, societal resources they can sort of bring to bear, they win essentially. I think that's my take on the argument, at least. Um, and so, um, I, I think that you know, if putting like my political science hat on, like what's a decisive battle. And this is, my thinking is kind of also affected by like the, you know, the, the battle of Kiev. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> people call that decisive. Like people use the word decisive a lot yeah, in Ukrainian yeah. conflicts, right? Yeah. It's like every day. It's like, I was listening to some podcast. Someone said, Oh, this is the real, this is the real <laughs> phase of battle. It's going to determine. Yeah. And then the host like, well, you said that every single year, like, you know, it's our every, every six months yeah. you say that. Right. And a lot so, of these then, analysts out there just have to speak in hyperbole, though, to get the, uh, yeah. the clicks and the downloads. So. Right, right. This is the real decisive moment. So, yeah. so you know, if you if you say that decisive, like a decisive battle is something that determines the outcome of a war, um, I mean, that's a pretty high standard. Right? Yeah. So you're almost defining it out of existence. Um, yeah. And realizing that, of, of course, yes in the past, like 200 years ago, did people think that there could be decisive battle that won the war and it could have maybe actually happened? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, yeah. But nobody argues that now. I mean, not that I know of, right? Yeah. Um, and so then what's what's a better way to think about the, you know decisive battle is what if it just shapes like the next phase, right? So the Battle of Kiev was decisive in in deciding that Russia would not be successful in its initial war plan. Okay. So if you think about maybe in terms of like path dependence, um, a branching point, like, and again, the the jargon of political science is a critical juncture. So each major battle is a critical juncture that closes off some outcome. Um, So each, most major battles are going to be decisive in the sense of creating a new pathway. Right. There's a branching point there. So the fact that Kiev didn't fall, it was decisive in the sense of, Hey, 
Russia was not going to walk to victory, you know, walk to easy victory. It's going to be a different kind of bat. It's going to be a different kind of war after that point or go back in history. Like, so was the, the D-Day landing, the battle of Normandy or was that decisive? Well, it was decisive in the sense of setting up a battle for Europe on the land in Northern France. Whereas if it failed, I'm not saying it would have said, well, you know, Germany, wins that battle and therefore wins the war i'm not that's not what would have happened yeah. right but that would have been a very different history right oh, yeah. if, if, oh. if the landing fails something else happens right um so you can go through and, and any major battle you look at is decisive in some way it's just not it's not deciding the end of the war but it's it's putting the war on a different path than otherwise would be right so i mean that's just an example of and i mean i don't want to critique people too harsh or whatever but yeah. that um everybody Every single person in the world loved that book when it came out. And basically we're saying, yes. I still love that book. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. Absolute favorites. So this is – I'm actually glad to hear somebody critiquing it because I'm like a fanboy for that book and absolutely love it. So keep going because this is – we'll have to have another conversation at a later time to to debate the merits of the book. But keep going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so everybody – loved it and just accepted it as is true and it's like okay well all these things have to be you know scrutinized and you know rigorously to to think it through like nice so i think that the 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 arguments of of nolan are are accurate more or less but i mean i think the framing and the way of thinking it through is is is, there's some serious problems there i think um Hmm. i mean what i like about it is that um it the idea i think that is more like a uh, a zeitgeisty vibey thing that's out there yeah. of like oh that there are there are genius generals that can win a battle and 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 and, uh, and have a quick quick war and end it all right away and it's over i think that's something that lives in the minds of probably generals and uh certain oh, yeah, political leaders sure. and such and if you look at again the russian war plan was something along those lines of like hey we can have a quick victory we can decapitate off you know what i mean that's all you need hey yeah, exactly. The genius. Um, and so, so I think that the idea is out there. I think it's the, the claim that actually like scholars or thoughtful practitioners believe that I think is not accurate, but I think it does, it is sort of in, in the, the minds of, of some military planners and maybe even political leaders and like the, the public at large that, yeah, you can do this. And I think the, the quick victory disease is the, is the biggest oh. issue. No, right, yeah. and that the assumption that you can end it quickly—that's maybe the more problematic idea, and and I think that's that's the point. I think that's that resonates with me from Nolan is is that piece, you know. Yeah. But because um, I mean, what what I didn't like from the start about that argument is that so I think that strategy matters. I think that strategists mm-hmm. matter, and yeah. so I think that it's not just whoever has the most stuff that wins. I think that it's also affected by who has the best strategy. So that, that made me kind of like question it from the start when I first yeah. heard of the argument. And so, well, if, if, if it's only the resources and application of resources, then strategy doesn't matter that much either. The genius general doesn't matter. Um, the, the, you know, the uh, immaculate battlefield victory doesn't matter. And so strategy like also doesn't matter. No. Um, and so in, in thinking in that way, that's what made me kind of question it a little bit because I wanted – I believe I believe strategy matters. I spent a lot of time on it, so I didn't yeah. want it to be true that strategy wouldn't matter. You know, <laughs> I was like, no, that can't be right. Yeah. Um, and so that got me thinking about it in kind of a critical way. And so then um, – and, and so I, I just – I think that – you have, you have to think about these concepts a little maybe differently or are subjected to, to more scrutiny. Also like the idea of what is strategy, the fact that people will, you know, be out there and, and come on your show and sort of say, well, Hey, it's just, it's just a way of thinking about the future or something like that. And I'm like, man, that's not going to work. Right. Um, I guess some people don't like my definition cause it's too narrow feeling or it's, mm. Um, there's something about this uncomfortable in, in its, um, I guess, narrowness, or I would say, I would say clarity. Um, yeah. People don't like the clarity. And it also, I think it also, it forces you to think clearly and articulate it clearly. Um, and I have this exercise in my classes too, where it's like, we, we take 
an argument from a book or an article, or we look at maybe what happened in reality and we say, okay, well, what's the theory of success here? Hmm. And it's kind of hard to find it sometimes because people, they want to just, they don't want to get pinned down, you know? Oh, and so yeah, I think, no. you know, yep. this kind of definition, it pins people down and forces them to say, well, well what are, what are you going to do to cause the effects you want? And why do you yeah. think that's going to actually work? People are uncomfortable with that. And, and so I think that we don't, we don't scrutinize our ideas that much as much as we should in sort of the national security strategy realm. I think it starts with the fact that we don't think rigorously about what strategy is, that people can write articles without, you know, defending their understanding of strategy. Um, yeah. And that, you know, we, we, we just haven't gotten to that, that stage where we're, we're really digging into what our basic ideas are. Are they correct? What are all other ways of thinking about it? I just think like there's not that many great like literature reviews or like review articles on like strategy and military strategy. And it's just not something that's, that's done uh, very often, I think. So I think, so my problem there is that we, we need to do more work and, yeah. and think more rigorously about all of our concepts and what we're doing. And so that's, that's an issue. Uh, I think it, it can get better quickly if, if we just try harder. <laughs> yeah. That I way. think that, yeah, no, that that's that's terrific. I think that one of your things we don't do we don't do it well. We don't think through things well. We don't articulate things well, and we don't want to be boxed in. I think are key takeaways um, from that. And I think a large part of the issue on the military side is our jargon binds us. Right, we're bound to this box that is our jargon. And you know, if you don't speak in the language of your system. To those within your system, you sound incompetent, right? Hmm. But if you're, the language in your system is limiting, right, and it's not allowing you to effectively articulate what it is you're trying to do, but you're only communicating in that language, you're automatically operating in this inverted pyramid where you can't really articulate what it is you're trying to do, but what you're trying to do is up out here. And I think that that's a big part of the problem. Um, and then certainly, I think really uh, a larger part of the problem is what you said about the uh, people not wanting to be boxed in, right? Because nobody wants to be the loser. You know, it's easy to be the strategist who wins, um, but it's hard to be the person where they're like, hey, you said the goal was this and we didn't do this. So, you know, you're out or you're, you know, the history of your time and command of this thing or, it, you know, is going to be written poorly. And it's, you know, everybody's pining to be the next uh, Bonaparte, you know, score on their Austerlitz. But in reality, that's, uh, you know, probably a pipe dream these days. And so two last points, because I think that that was, you, you hit on a couple of my, my internal personal like triggers. Um, <laughs> so the decisive thing, I f absolutely love that because I hate that word and the way it's used today, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for the exact same reasons you just mentioned. And I don't know what your feelings are on the two dudes I'm going to mention, but I'm going to mention them because I think their yeah. ideas are, are very helpful uh, in some mm -hmm. regards, in some regards or not. But so Liddell Hart, uh, in his book, The Ghost of Napoleon, he writes about this very idea, right? So The Ghost of Napoleon is published in 1926, and he talks about the way the word decisive is used and how it's used incorrectly for the same reasons you just laid out. And basically, you know, he's like, um, you know, the, the book's about Napoleon. He's, you know, he says, you know, Napoleon's not riding around on his horse out there saying this is the decisive point. All that, that word is a post facto mm -hmm. word, right? Yeah. Um, and what Napoleon was probably saying at the time is there's the, you know, the chance for great success if we succeed here. There's an opportunity point here. And so perhaps we better, it's better to speak in terms of opportunity points or opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the other, other word is there instead of decisive. Right. And so I think that that's something, you know, that I really, when I, I'd always thought that. And then when I read that book, I read that book, um, when I was in the command of general staff college, just, I'd seen mm -hmm. it actually, um, the makers of modern strategy, mm -hmm. um, the original book. So we had, we have to read that, you know, big portions of that in the course, mm -hmm. but the original book that was published in the fifties, it, it's actually slightly different. And the chapter on Napoleon right. in there is heavily critical of, or not of Napoleon on Clausewitz is heavily critical of Clausewitz. Whereas mm -hmm. the, the chapter 
in the one that was published in whatever it was, the eighties or nineties. Uh-huh. Um, I keep looking at my bookshelf. To make, <laughs> so I, could, I was thinking maybe it was on the spine of the book, but it's not, um, you know, but that one that, that we had to read in the course, uh, the, the chapter on Clausewitz is like far more, um, you know, hmm. the, the normal stuff that people say about Clausewitz. He's yeah. great. He's this, is that. Whereas the one that right. was published in the fifties was very, uh, you know, Clausewitz wasn't all this great and it had all this, you know, all these, uh, you know, critical analysis of them. And one of the lines in that, in that chapter said something to the effect of, you know, world war one generals were drunk on the blood red wine of Clausewitzian growth. Mm. And I thought, what a terrific line. Where did that come from? <laughs> and so I looked at the footnote and it was the ghost of Napoleon. And I was like, I've got to read this book based off that one, that one quote taken out of it. And so anyway, that's, that's the big takeaway is, you know, he was very critical of this idea of decisiveness. Um, mm. And I think the other point with that, building on that, um, so J.S.C. Fuller, the idea of decisiveness, uh, when he talks about decisiveness, and I think this is the more traditional, um, old uh, recollection of the idea, is that it's it's a it causes either a change um, in political decision, hence the word decisive, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. based off that root. Or a change in the military plan, okay? And so mm. it's either a change in the political situation, you know, you quit, you, you know, whatever the case may be as it, as it relates yeah. to the political decisions, or it causes a change in a, in, in a military plan. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, it's, it's that pathway dependency thing, right? It causes branches right. to open up or close depending on what, what's done there. And I think that today when we use that word, I just, we, I hate it because we just it sounds cool you know what i mean like oh this is decisive and everybody i used to have a battalion commander when i was like a a lieutenant and baby captain and he was like one of those pound the tables when he says decisive guys this is the decisive operation you know and i think everybody wants to do that and they want to be able to throw that word around like like they're the uh the HMFIC of, you know, whatever it is that's going on. And really you're probably not, you're probably just some like minuscule aspect of something very large that you have very little control over. And so the, the decisiveness, every time I use it, um, when I use it, I try and tie it to JFC Fuller's definition. It's either a change Uh in the political situation uh, or it's a change in the military plan a change you know, in in most of those cases with the military plan, it's, it's a phase change, right? So like you said, battle of it was decisive, sure, if we want to use that word, only in that it it created an alternative future that you right. know Russia Russia certainly wasn't anticipating, um, and that Kiev, like you know, and, and, and the government and military there in Ukraine, that that was the whole point of it was to create that right. alternative uh, situation. And so, um, anyway, that's it. I just, that, I hate, <laughs> absolutely hate that word. So, <laughs> for, yeah. all, for all these reasons, and I, I, I'm, I really appreciate that, <laughs> that you picked it up. Ah, yeah. go ahead, sorry. No, I just say, it, it gets to the point that, uh, that I think is consistent more or less with, with Nolan's argument, perhaps that, I mean, with, with strategy broadly is I think a lot of times what you're doing is trying to like move the needle in a more positive mm-hmm. direction, right? So yeah. it's not the idea, I mean, it's maybe, maybe I need to revise this, that maybe success isn't the right word, but it's like, <clears throat> maybe this is sort of like what Dolman's getting at too, is like, you're just trying to move the, move it in a slightly more advantageous direction, right? Yeah. And if you can get that, I mean, that's, so you should be, and, and maybe this gets into the idea of what we, we think strategy should do is like, oh, strategy wins and creates our ideal um, end state or whatever. And instead of thinking about that, it's like, how do we, you know, we can still have identifiable goals and say, hey, this is how we know the situation has become a little more advantageous for us. Yeah. Um, we, can, we can still set sort of targets for what we're trying to do and a vision of success being a, a slightly better world or something like that. And and I think that thinking in that way helps. Like we're not going to, the strategy is not going to be the end all of the situation here. The battle is yeah. not going to end everything, but it's like, okay, we're going to set us ourselves up for a better situation than we would have had otherwise. And that's really all we can do. And that should be the point of what, what we're striving for. Um, Cause I think it's, there might be an idea like, Oh, we're striving for this big thing. We didn't get it. So now what, you know, and it's kind of, yeah. to, Oh, well then we'll, we'll strive for another big thing or we'll just try harder. Uh, oh, we didn't build the <laughs> Afghan army this year. Well, now, hey, this next year, we're really going to do it, right? We're going to try harder. 
going to build the hell out of it. We're going to make S fives and go build them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and that goes, and I think that goes back to the point, like, Hey, there needs to be realistic policy goals. You know, there also needs to be that. I really do believe like if you're doing strategy correctly, there's the goal, right? Aspirational, but then there's the the levels of sub-optimization that are inherent in anything. Right. Cause yeah, I, I think entropy is, you know, crosses the board as it relates to everything and everything you try and do, there's some degree of entropy, right? That's you're always pushing to disorder and you're always having to push yourself and whatever it is you're trying to do away from disorder. And that's why we train armies. That's why we do recruiting, right? There's all these things. Um, and uh, that, that I think is like the main takeaway, whatever this goal is, you're really going to be hitting somewhere down here. And it's on a scale of like, how many factors are actually competing against your ability and how unrealistic Mm -hmm. are your goals um, as it relates to that. There was one last thing I was going to ask you or say based off something you said, and I lost it. Oh, well, that that happens to me in class all the time. I'm like, oh, hey, I was going to say something. I'm just standing in front of the students staring staring at them, and it doesn't always work out. All right. Well, I, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation and I think down the road, I, I would like to reboot this conversation. Cause I think mm-hmm. we've uncovered a couple things that we could keep talking about for sure. Uh, yeah. maybe like a joint, what is it like a family feud type review of Kaplan <laughs> Nolan's, uh, the lure of battle, you know, you yeah. pick your team and I'll pick mine and then we can come <laughs> in and throw down or something. Does that mean I have to actually finish reading the book? I guess. You don't have to, but it helps. <laughs> um, essentially, if you know the first two chapters and just apply that across history, that gets you to today. And yeah. uh, I, I'm all, all I'm all on board. I think it's terrific. But that's also <laughs> probably because I've participated in so many uh, decisive, indecisive wars uh, on my own uh, on my own side. Yeah. So I'm looking I'm looking for a uh, looking for fault instead of looking to clap somebody on the back. Yeah. But anyway, thank you, Jeff. I know it's uh, I know it's getting early, uh, and it's actually like normal time there. So I'll let you get back <laughs> to your day. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. Had a lot of fun. All right. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.